You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. I am your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Very excited for this show. One of my favorite people around, my mentor, my, my biggest mentor around town, and somebody I disagree with about everything, just about everything. Just, just about all that. sorts of things. But that makes for, for really good conversations, especially on a podcast. It's Matt Moore. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> How about the nuggets? So it's funny because we're recording this one, I think this is going to drop on Thursday, but we're recording this Monday night, just mere moments after the nuggets dropped what I thought was one of the most entertaining games of the year to the Boston Celtics. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that game, but mostly we're going to be doing some big picture stuff. And first, Matt, what was your, what's your? It's weird because was this a good game or a bad game? Like, like the feeling is this a high note or a low note for the Nuggets following this game? Uh, they take it as a high note. I take it as a low note. Mm. So I think that uh, the high note is for them is they they know how good Boston is. Uh, not just in terms of their record, but playing them. They know how good they are. Yeah. They know how tough that was. They know how much they fought. They know how much they executed. They made big shots. They gave themselves a chance to win the game at the end, and they came up short. And so for them, there was a, that's disappointing, but hey, we played well. And I think that especially after how they played the last couple of weeks, that's encouraging for them. Uh, I am always about the big picture and your right. win-loss profile. That's where I go to for playoff teams. That's what I'm concerned with. If you're a garbage lottery team, I worry about player development and making gains and learning things. Denver's not that. Denver's vying for a playoff berth. And right. as such, um, to me, I think that I look at this as you had an opportunity to get a win versus the best team in the Eastern Conference who is finishing up a West Coast road trip in a one-point game at home at the end, and you walk out with a loss. Now you got to go to San Antonio for a, a back-to-back, which we'll see how that goes. This will already happen by the time this posts. Then you got that, got OKC on Thursday. The Warriors, you play the Spurs three times this there's, month. You there's get a the lot Rockets. of yeah. <laughs> and, and talking to, to someone with the coaching staff today, there was a definite sense of, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be rough for a while. And so you have to find ways to get these. These are the games that you need to get to make up for things like, oh, we lost to Philadelphia without Embiid. Oh, we lost to the Kings. Oh, we lost to whoever. Right. You need to make those games up with opportunities like this. And so to let this one slide, especially in the way that it went down with the timeout situation, I think is disappointing. I think I look at it like this. If this happened in, on December 10th, I would say this was a great loss. Like, oh, mm-hmm. phenomenal. But the problem is the last month the Nuggets have had a lot of Moral victories, actual losses, and right. this one falls in that category. Like there's so much that went right, but they've already used up their their allotment. They've had a lot of what I refer to as bad wins, which yeah. are the idea from the, from coaches is there's no such thing as a bad win. Well, right. that's not true. Like if you are a good team, you should beat the bad teams. Right. And you should usually beat yeah. them comfortably. And instead, they've been squeaking them by. Oh now this God. was a good loss in that. They, again, they played really well versus a quality opponent. I think that energy really translates there. The problem though is. Denver has now, because we are at this point in January, we are in a space now where I start looking at magic numbers, evaluations for what's your what's your formula to get in the playoffs. You're the king of the magic number, by the way. Like, you've kind of invented that. I haven't invented it. I just have adapted it in a way nobody else has because I started to really, when you, when you follow, this is now my 10th NBA season of following every single game with rigor. And in doing so, you can get lost in just like, the monotony of January through March. But what you start to notice is, though, look, this is where teams go on a bad stretch, and that's why they miss the playoffs. Teams go on a good stretch, that's why they make it in. And so I'm always paying attention to where these dips come from because a lot of times, even though you're always going to have games that you let slip, I'm able to to look, look back and go, you know what, they made the playoffs because they won that one, that one, and that one. Or they won these types of games. Like the Wolves right now are losing space with their lead for the four seed because they dropped another one to a team below 500. They have the most losses of any playoff team in the West versus teams below 500. Oh, your, wow. Your win-loss profile matters greatly in whether or not you get the seed you want, the playoff spot you want, etc. And so for me with Denver, again, it's like they play well, it's encouraging, but it's like even though I'm always a process guy, you need that result in a situation like this because of where what you're looking at for the next month. Right. Yeah, I feel that way too. And it's funny, one of the reasons I want, I really like having you on, and and I mean this sincerely, I've learned so much about covering the league from you, 
And maybe the most, the thing I've learned most from, from you about the league is I, especially my first four years, follow these things game by game, week by week. And like you do that, you really pull your hair out because it's like there's a high and oh my gosh, they're on a run and they're now they're on a lull. And you almost have to step back and take these like big picture approaches. And so this is why, and this is my first question, and maybe the most important question is, two weeks ago, you wrote that you were a seller on the Denver Nuggets. Like you just, like, and, and I think everybody in the world did. Like they just were mm-hmm. looking really bad. They were dropping some bad games. They just went on a three-game win streak that didn't quite feel like a three-game win streak. Are you still a seller on the Nuggets in terms of, I'm not, we'll talk about playoffs later, later, in terms of like, this is a team that's going to figure it out, quote unquote, and, and be their best self for long enough b- before the playoffs begin. Uh, I'm a buyer in that sense. Okay. I think that I believe that the the Paul Millsap will come in like Batman. Yeah. And will save the day to a degree and give them a boost, and that will probably be enough to put them in position. Things are breaking their way. What with the really unfortunate oh bummer of a Demarcus Cousins injury. Um, even things like the Andre Roberson injury, that really actually does help Denver because of, of what they're going to be facing. Um, it just makes Oklahoma City games easier. Yeah, and then also the trade of Blake Griffin today to the Detroit Pistons. That makes the Clippers substantially weaker. There's a good chance the Clippers trade DeAndre Jordan. This puts them in a sell mode, which makes it very easy. It means that your real competition could wind up being... The Clippers could still hang, but your competition could wind up being Utah, which is a similarly terrifying idea because of the prospect of Donovan Mitchell knocking them out of the playoffs. Right. But in terms of like their ability to play... like. Oh my God, you just gave me a new nightmare to worry yeah, about. Yeah, we gotta go. I realized that one this afternoon. Um <laughs> I think where I'm at with Denver's play is they haven't figured out who they are, and that's a real warning sign, but I think, no, I won't say that. I think they know who they are. I don't think they know how to get there yet because they haven't had Paul Millsap. I think that with Paul Millsap, they can put things together because part of it, what I feel like happens a lot is they're trying so hard to make sure they're not bleeding on the defensive end that they're not able to execute enough offensively to get things to work the way that it should. They have those games and stretches where, as you are fond of saying, the ball's popping, where things are moving. Haven't the said D- it too much lately. The DHO is working. Like the Knicks game where they got... They're, it they're, getting, they're getting up the floor, they're getting Jokic on the move, and things are operating. And when they're able to do that and they have Paul Millsap, and Paul Millsap anchors the defense a little bit more... Yeah. I think there's a capacity for this team to be playing the right, their best basketball at the exact right time, yeah. which is going to be late March. That's when they need to be at their best. Not April, March yeah. is where they need to be at their best. If they can do that, they're going to be in great position. They're going to make the playoffs and have a real chance of knowing who they are going in the playoffs. Do I know they'll get there? No. I'm buying in that sense. But I, I, right now I'm selling like crazy because I'm like, look, they haven't played well since December. Yeah. They're about to go on a, a, a stretch of games, which is unlike anything I've seen this season from anybody. They are just in a death gauntlet right now for the next month. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it is going to be pretty tough. Um, I would say for me, I'm less of a... I don't know if I'm a seller or a buyer with the Nuggets team right now. And I know that's a cop-out. But I just... I think that they... I'm, I'm with you that I don't know that they know who they are. I'm probably... Less optimistic. I think Paul Millsap's going to be a huge boost. And maybe just an emotional boost. I think the Nuggets are kind of drained right now. Physically, but also... Mentally. Mentally and emotionally. I get you compare those together. Because this has been a disappointing month. Some guys have gone down. They've had to play a lot of minutes with this tighter rotation. I just think they're a little bit drained. And and you talk about this tough stretch. It's going to be so challenging for them physically. Eight-man rotation, basically. And I'm afraid Freed played a little bit. But eight-man rotation, and now they're down one of those eight guys. So I'm a seller in the, in, kind of in, in, in that regard, but I'm still such a – I'm still really high on the, this team's potential. Like I still think their potential is just insanely high, especially with Paul Millsap. And this, I think, is what's really concerning about Denver is that um, their ceiling is tremendous and there's potential there. What I tend to start looking at is what's your range of outcomes – it's so wide for them. I think wider and for not them just on a, more than not just on a win total projection, but like you know, what if Millsap comes back and it's like, oh, the defense is better, 
but the offense just never clicks, yeah. and they're just like a middle-of-the-road team. Uh, what if Millsap comes back, and it's, oh, you have a closer, so you can win close games, but the defense doesn't come around the way that they needed to because Millsap's conditioning isn't where it needed to be. Right. Um, what if they suffer another injury? There's all of these this range of outcomes, and I think Denver, amongst all of the playoff teams, has the widest range of outcomes for how this is going to go. I think that's why, you know, fan. this has been the least fun <laughs> season to, like, deal with fans <laughs> like mentions and... i think overall just because there, there's such intensity around every game yeah and, I, and it was weird because this so it's just funny comparing this this one to the last good season here because mm-hmm. um, i was here in 2013 and that one was was a blast because like literally it didn't matter who came to town you were just like oh well they're probably gonna win like they're yeah like they're, they're <laughs> gonna win these games all these home games like they're gonna win um, because, and, and it was weird, just, they had such consistency and Denver is so young, it's impossible for them. Like this is a team that can play really well and when they don't play well, can still win games, which yeah. I, I do recommend that fans take a bit, a little bit more like, and I'm begging fans in Minnesota for this. It's just like, look, you're not terrible. Right. Like, just be happy with not being terrible. Right. And look at back where you were two years ago. I know it's not the, that should, you should have bars higher than that. But Kings fans have had just that bar for literally 15 years and have not been able to get over it. Right. So like, just the fact that, that Denver is coming off the stretch where, no, they didn't look good. No, they didn't play great. They won three games in a row versus bad teams. That's a step forward, and you, you got to be like, look, at least we're in the conversation. I think about this at least once a day. <laughs> like, Just how bizarre it is that the Nuggets have improved every single season for the last, what, four, three or four mm-hmm. And how it doesn't feel like that. Like it almost feels yeah. like it gets more and more stressful. And I think about it so much. And the other thing I think about, and this can maybe segue into some of the next topics, is there's always a boogeyman with fans. And I fall into this trap too. You know, at first to start the season, it was Emmanuel Moutier. Like, oh, if they just didn't have to play Emmanuel Moutier, they'd be so good. Then Moutier gets benched, and it's like, oh, well, if they just didn't play Barton at point guard, now he's forced to play point guard, and that's it. And then it's Plumlee Jokic if it wasn't for that. And I feel like. You really start to see the pattern of like, you know what, this team maybe is a team that's figuring themselves out, and they're just this is who they are. It I don't know. It's just it, it's another thing where it's uh, again, fans and even writers and even myself sometimes fall into the most negative aspect. Like we see the mo- we sell we see the gray cloud or the gray lining in a silver cloud. Uh, I was battling with Minnesota fans tonight because they're all up in arms because Jeff Teague had a no good, terrible, rotten, very bad game, which he cost them with a series of boneheaded decisions. Did Tyus Jones be starting? Is that the uh... yeah? And Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, like Jeff Teague should not play. Period. And just like <laughs> just Tyus Jones is gonna play is gonna play forty eight minutes every night. And uh-huh. you know the the Wolves are plus six with Jeff Teague on the floor. They're plus seven when he's not because right. Tyus Jones has been great for them. But they're a plus six with Jeff Teague on the floor. Um, I deal with. Um, Raptors fans have chilled out a little bit on Dwayne Casey, but I used to deal with, with Raptors fans who were just like, I just don't know about Dwayne Casey. And I was like, you guys shouldn't even be here. Like Kyle Lowry was nothing no. when he got traded to, traded to you. He was like the good, the pretty good point guard in Houston. Now he's an all-star. He made DeMar DeRozan into an all-star. Your defense is legit. Like, be happy with what you've got. Um, all these situations where there's always a negative. Thing. I mean, and honestly, it goes all the way. The Warriors, the Warriors get mad at Steve Kerr for playing their their big. That's the honestly. That's all you need to say is the Warriors get upset about their circumstance. Yeah. And like, come on, there's never been a better circumstance for a fan base in right. the history of sports, sports, let alone basketball. Right. And so, you know, I, this is this is the craziest one. And this will give you pause. Like any any fan listening to this, I literally have conversations every now and again where a Spurs fan will just pop up in my mentions and be like. Do you ever wonder about Pop? Like, uh, just every now and again, I get like, yeah. look, it just drives me crazy that he does this. They get, fr- even though they know how good he is, they get really frustrated with some of Pop's decisions. Yeah. Um, I think Malone, in general, this is, Moutier is clearly a drag. Uh-huh. And it's, I think it's even less about Emmanuel as it is more about, well, no, it's not. It's literally about Manuel. But <laughs> um, it's also about the absence of what he is not, a yeah. veteran offense running shot making backup point guard right um that just how and they the front office knows that they know how much better they'd be if that need was filled um which isn't to say that they feel like they can get it they can't get it for the price that they're looking to get one for um you know barton at point guard is a repercussion of that absence uh the Jokic plumley combination i think is a, a repercussion of where we get to with um just malone's overall 
you know, viewpoint in how he views the game of basketball and what he thinks works and where this and where this team can win yeah. and where his concerns are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these kind of things. I think with Malone though, the issues. This is this is. I said this tonight to to Scott Hastings. Um, I said I think if you look at the the trees, yeah, with Michael Malone, you see broken branches yeah. and a lot of rot on the wood, and you're just like, ugh, this is this place is a pit. And when you step back out and you see the forest, you're like, this is a healthy, thriving ecosystem right. that has made gains. Yep. That doesn't mean that it's where it's going to need to be in two years, but for right now, the ecosystem is good. And I think that that's a large part of why the Nuggets have had more patience with Malone. I say this and I'm like, I'm waiting for like the press release, like, <laughs> fire head coach Malone? Oh. Um, he's in no danger as far as I know of being fired. But yeah. uh, that's the kind of the thing. Is like, if you look at the big picture now... The same argument was made to me by two people in the league in regards to Jason Kidd. They said, look, I understand that, that, that Jason messes up a lot of stuff, and yeah, he's hard to deal with on a personal level, and yeah, this, and yeah, that, and yeah, the defense is bad. But look, they were in the playoffs last year. They're on track to make the playoffs this year. Like, that's got to be good enough. Like, the team is good. And in the end, Kidd burned enough bridges and with right. ownership and everything else that it wasn't. But the situation here just isn't analogous. I, I do think, though, that for the most part, you have to keep an eye on the big picture until it gets to be an absolute, like, we are way worse than talent would suggest. And I think when you look at Paul Millsap missing as many games as they have, I don't know how you can come to the conclusion, no matter how many trees Michael Malone may mess up, them being over 500 despite everything that's gone on this season, I think the ecosystem looks pretty good. So I, this is we're kind of already into it, but I'm gonna, I want you to evaluate different players and, 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 and obviously the coach, and we'll start with him and kind of just give an overall grade. I mean, putting a letter on it or whatever I think is kind of lame, but we'll just do that for, as a jumping-off uh, point. I will do I will do five-star reviews for you. Five-star reviews. So, and I'm with you. We talk about this a lot. You know, I disagree with Malone about one really big thing, and it's Nikola Jokic, and I disagree with a lot of people about Nikola Jokic and just the way, you know, the way he values him, and, and I think the things he fears about with him and this and that. There's really not a whole lot else that I disagree with him on. You know, little other big things, I should say. And there's a lot that I really agree with him on. And fans get so mad at me because I think Malone is a very unpopular person um, with, like, diehard fans who I think sway with the wins and losses and kind of ride the highs and lows a little bit harder. I think he's done a really, really good job. For me, I would give him, like, four star, four solid stars w- with the Nuggets so far. But w- what's your take? I feel for you, and I want the fans of this podcast to know <laughs> that everyone cracks up when you get comments about you're such a homer and you're such a Malone defender. Everyone in this entire like building starts making jokes about the, the, the fact that like you have been well, you're the guy that gets driven more crazy by the decisions that you disagree with on Michael Malone right. than anybody else. And including the coach, I think sometimes too, yeah. like feels this way. So yeah, like like there's a very big, there's a very different. But there's mind. a difference. See, here's the thing: is like I can be critical of somebody's. Again, I'm criticizing the trees. You step mm. back and look at the forest, and it really is. I, I really I do think. think it's well, I also positive. think when you work with somebody on a daily basis, it's a lot different to see the overall. Not just that you have a personal relationship with them, but you see the effect that they have on the overall team, and you see them, <laughs> and you look back, and you're able to see everything. It just looks a lot different. You're like. You're talking about firing a guy. Right. Like you're talking about <laughs> yeah. fire and, and coaches. Man, fans love to fire coaches, but you know, and we've talked about this before. It's not just about that. It's like, okay, who takes over? Where do you go then? Who, right. who are you going to get to replace him? Is the option better than what you have with Malone? All of these things. The funny thing I was going to say is, you know, a lot of the the, the Plumlee Jokic talk. Jokic, I think, truly and sincerely enjoys playing with Plumlee. And this is what's so funny about it is like I always get the like comment from fans about, oh, he looks. He looks so upset, or this or that. He looks. So, I think. I think Jokic gives weird facial expressions and body language. Just yeah. kind of. But like he always, always, always says great things about Mason and like, oh, he covers for me on defense and all this stuff. So it's. Uh, I would do. I would say that I would give Malone. For this season, three stars, and the reason is, um, I think. We, he came into training camp, and he said, I'm not worried about our offense. And immediately, alarm bells went off for a lot right. of us. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you just can't kind of take that approach. It's got to be balanced. I started, yeah, I started um, worrying. I think, I, so like, one of your things is, like, you have disagreements with him. I'm less concerned with disagreements because 
like you ask me like is this pick and roll coverage that he that he subscribes to good and i say no but the understanding that i have is when i ask michael i go and i like today i asked michael mullen because like i went back and i watched the nuggets last 200 three-pointers given up because i wanted out of the pick and roll because i wanted to see like all right they give up the fifth most why is this happening and it's the same thing over and over again but then the thing is you can stop there and be like this is a bad scheme and it doesn't work and michael mullen's stupid for running it Right, and I think that if this was six years ago, that's where I would have been at. But now, I go to practice and I say, you know, coach, you do this, and you're giving up a lot of these things. Why? And the answer comes down to where he's happy with what they don't surrender, but also he's not satisfied with the execution. Because if you have this plan and it's not executed correctly, then and that's on you, but. It doesn't mean that this, the scheme is inherently wrong. Now, I can argue with whether or not you can run the scheme with the personnel. Right. But the fact is is that his idea is like they, they bring over the corner man to tag the role because he doesn't want to give up the layup, doesn't have confidence in his guard to disrupt the, the dribble and contain, and because he, he wants the high rotation guys to go low and cover. And you saw that a couple times tonight versus the Celtics. And when it works, you're like, that. That's exactly how it's supposed to go. My disagreement with whether or not that can work or not doesn't mean that he doesn't have a good plan. It right. means that he's still trying to figure out how to get it executed. And those things are very different. And so um, I think that he he's blown some rotation stuff. He's always going to kind of do that. Uh, I think that he is... I think he gets caught up sometimes on... It's funny. He gets caught in the trees. He gets really worked up on individual possessions that show that guys aren't working hard or that they're not in checked into the game. And his frustration level impacts how he coaches. Oh, there's no doubt about that. He loses I think he admits these things, too. He loses timeouts because he gets way too frustrated at transition baskets. He's not able to be like, okay, <laughs> that was annoying. Harrison and I always joke about it. We're all sitting right there. We can always tell, like, okay, here comes the timeout. And it's like a 4 0 run or something yeah. like that. And it's but like, with a transition basket. And yeah. I think a lot of that. And, like, that's standard around the league. It's just yeah. exacerbated by him. So yeah. for him, I would give him a three stars. Um, I see growth. I see potential. I like where the, the biggest thing is. What I'm re- here's one of the things I'm really interested to see. I want to know what he looks like in the playoff environment. Oh, my I gosh, think, yeah. I think that Michael Malone is either going to get worked and it's going to be problematic because of his late game stuff, or he's going to find matchup advantages and target the hell out of them, and it's going to look a lot better. I don't think the Nuggets are a target a matchup advantage kind of guy team. I agree with you in principle. I think there are ways to take advantage of schematic matchups rather than personnel. Right. Yeah, for sure. Gary Harris. Five stars. Five stars. It's kind of maybe um, the easiest one we're going to do, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, I've, I started calling him a, him whenever he was a metronome. Uh, it's just guys that keep the tempo in that they are every game. It's, He's it's among game. the most consistent players I've ever watched. Yeah. Just the fact that – I also love the fact that when he has a bad game, like he'll shake his head and be like, God, I like missed that shot. He'll be mad at himself. But, like, next play, he's onto it. It doesn't linger with him. Next, If he has a bad game, the next game, he bounces back. Like, that stuff is, I cannot stress this enough, how valuable that is. Like, I will take that over the guy that will randomly go off for 35 on any, like, once a month for you. Every single time. His defense has been so much better this year. Like, I was really worried last year. I was like, well, I thought he could be a good defender. I guess not. Right. He's been great this year he has been really great defensively especially the last couple weeks you, yes. you highlighted the damian lillard thing but there was some tonight where i just yes. was like my goodness man he is everywhere he is locked in and giving great effort. on ball on ball yeah, yeah. and I, I just think that he has been fantastic i think that he's pivotal for them to be able to build because of what he provides them um in every phase of the game like he adds something new every single game and we're like he doesn't have that in his bag and then he has it um hard worker he's always he's never out of shape he's never winded if he has a bad game he has a bad game but to me he's a five-star no question who's more of a malone guy mason plubley gary harris or jamal murray because mm. i think they're all malone guys i think gary harris because we don't know what jamal is yet yeah like two years from now it's gonna be jamal because uh malone has a high appreciation for work ethic and we all kind of honed in on that, but 
As do you, by the way. Uh, yeah, I do. That's probably your the thing you put the highest premium I on. I really value yeah. it because a lot of it's because when I ask players and they they keep singling that out, it lets you know how much you don't get to see. Like you're not in the weight room. You're not. I in think the it's even room. more important in today's NBA. Like yeah. I really do think there was times in the '80s where not everybody worked hard, but okay. guys were good, just so yeah. it worked. I, I think everybody works. You, you get too a hard now. Um, I think. I think Jamal Murray will be though, because one, I, I have faith in Jamal Murray's work, work ethic. But two, you know, Malone appreciates elite talent. He's coached yeah. it. He's coached yeah, it in yeah. New Orleans, You're right in about Cleveland. That. That's a great point. He, he coached. He like he. The reason that he backs cousin, like, look, Demarcus Cousins <laughs> drive him insane, right? But he backs Boogie because he knows how good Boogie can be. Yeah. And that's a, that was one thing I will say is like there are coaches that are myopic with their approach to work ethic, like Byron Scott. Malone's not that. He has a recognition of. Do you have elite talent? Okay, then I'm going to give you a little bit more rope. Not all of it, right. but more rope than another guy does. Uh, so what about Jamal Murray? <clears throat> uh, gosh, I feel like his season has like had like three parts. Um, I only feel like two parts. I'll say overall... Again, we're grading on a curve, so yeah. you're giving him the second year grade. Uh, a second year grade, then I'll give him a four star. Ooh. Yeah. I, I, Not my, even a four and a half stars. No, my 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 eval- Well, I think a lot. Of Are there half stars in your grade? Yes. We should we okay? All right. <laughs> I think I think my evaluation for giving him four and not four and a half is um, he's still mistake prone, and he should be yeah. for a second year player. But that's also changing because we're seeing a lot of young guys come into the league and be able to defend right away, um, and a lot of it is like, look, you you have veterans on this team to help guide you. Like, it's not like some guys where they're on a young team and there's nobody to teach you, and you've got no idea. Um, like, I mean, to be quite honest with you, like, I don't know that Emmanuel Moutier really had anybody to, like, teach him until Jameer showed up, and by that point, I think it was too late. So, honestly, <clears throat> I'm learning this as a writer. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, I feel this way quite frequently, Quite to be quite honest, is, like, it, you really need somebody that's kind of... It's just that you don't need somebody. It's so valuable having somebody there that kind of like walks you through all the different steps of the thing. And that catches you when you start to make mistakes. Yeah. It's like, whoa, 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 don't do that. Right. Um, so I think like Murray's got like a support system here. Um, I also think that, so we grade on Kerr, right? It's a second year player. But look, Jamal Murray is a starting point guard for a team that's expected to make the playoffs. And so he has to be evaluated on that degree too. Um the last month, I think, has, has been five stars. Uh, I've been most impressed with the fact that Jamal will go down, make an insane layup through traffic, hit a runner, that little runner that he's gotten to, or a crazy up-and-under layup. And the first thing that he does is he sprints to the other end to make oh, sure yeah. his assignment is covered. Oh, yeah. There's no flexing. There's no posing. There's no yelling at the official because he feels like he got fouled. Murray is laser-pointed tracking down his assignment. And that stuff is really important. I wouldn't say this if it was like somewhat close, but I think he cares about winning more than everybody else. And and the reason I say that on the Nuggets, and the reason I say I don't like to say this is because some guys just express that differently. I really believe that. Like some guys just aren't yeah. emotionally expressive. But I think it's so vastly in his favor. Like he's he is a think, super competitor. Here's a subtle difference. I think in the moment Jamal Murray wants to win yeah, more yeah. than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to rip your heart out and show it to you while he's doing it. I think afterwards, there are guys in the locker room that genuinely, they're not showing off or being dramatic. Like, I think Will Barton takes losses really Oh, hard. yeah. Oh, no. He's, he, you're right. I think, and, yeah. But here's the thing. It's like, that's kind of the thing that I love about Jamal. Jamal reacts to losses with annoyance. Oh, yeah. Like, he's like... Yep, you're right. ...mad about it versus, like, that was crushing. Like, some guys are like... You're God, right. I can't believe, like, head in their hands. Jamal Murray is like... I'm going to go out, I'm going to punch 10 baby otters, <laughs> and then tomorrow I'm going to come back in and make 200 jump shots, and we're going to win. His confidence is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And here's my question. He's 20 years old, and his confidence, I think, is like in the top one per- 0.1% <laughs> off for 20-year-olds. But is that a thing? And have you have you been around the league long enough? Has that ever left a player? What I mean is, like, what are the odds that like four years from now he's less confident than he is now? Because uh, I don't think he can be more confident, quite frankly. Uh, I think he can be. I think that because the part is like when you get to be, when you know how good you are, uh, you stop having to prove yourself on defense. 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think that there's like a 30% chance and someone that's wrapped in injury. Like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, is, right. is when guys get hurt and yeah. they're just never the same. Um, the other thing is, I think, you know, look, if you want to talk about if you really want to talk about it, like, that's a good reason for keeping Michael Malone is because yeah. Jamal Murray has expressed and shown and grown confidence, and there are coaches that can absolutely kill it. And if he gets the wrong one, that can kill his confidence and hurt it. This is why I think Jamal Murray is the, the most Michael Malone guy on the entire team. Because I do think Malone favors these hard worker, run through a wall, yep. take no excuses, ask no questions type guys. But I just think there's also like a, a personality <laughs> bond between those two guys. And I think they want to win. I think I think they want to win as much as the other one does. I also think that they react. I think Michael Malone sees a little bit of himself in how Murray reacts to those losses with anger and frustration and rage rather than inconsolable grief. Like, yeah. there's a connection there of, like... You're right. Malone is that way. You're right. And, and you know, quite honestly, like, uh, there's only two ways, ways that coaches react to losses, which is, like, unbelievable stress or rage. That's the only way that they react to it. And, like, it's, like coaches, honestly, are... Are mentally deranged. Like you have to be a little bit crazy to coach in this league. I think. Yeah. Um, Steve Kerr is the only guy I know that comes close to not being that way. Um, I think that you're right that, that there's a connection there. I think wondering about the long term future of Murray with the Nuggets is fascinating, and not in terms of like whether they're going to have him because they're going to have him, but they'll have him for seven years. I mean, yeah. that's. But the question is I minimum. Think, yeah, I think the question really with Jamal is like. If you ask who the best player in this team is going to be in two years, it really is a question mark. That's what Jamal's capable of. Um, to me, there's only three answers. I think there's only two. Well, the, there's a third one, and that is free agent X. I mean, I, I don't. I think that's the least sure. likely. Yeah, you, you leave it open. Like there's a possibility. Like Kevin Durant comes here in two years, then okay, he's yeah, the best player. But. Sure. Like if, Which is, a, in my opinion, I'm the only one that says this. By the way, I think it's like slightly more likely than people think. I think it's like five percent chance that the Nuggets pick up a. Top free agent in two years. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm not going to say it couldn't happen, and they've definitely laid the groundwork to be able to yeah. put themselves in that position. Um, and I think there's a good chance they're going to be good enough to be interesting. Yeah. But the most likely scenario is that it's either, right. either Nicola or Jamal. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of reason to put stock in Jamal, and if that's the case, then that makes you wonder about what the team's going to look like. But we're a ways from that. We don't have to yeah. worry about that right now. And But for me, uh, I'd say uh, four stars for Jamal with last month being five uh and i will say this like i think the season if he doesn't have injuries knock on wood uh i think the season before his deal is up he's gonna like people are gonna be like oh jamal murray's one of those guys well we know it doesn't work this way but if you just draw the dots from like month to month for jamal's career like it's a pretty linear (laughs) a slope right it's a pretty linear upslope and He's not. He doesn't have months like he has months where he shoots worse. But Jamal Murray doesn't have months where he doesn't have months where like wow his shot is just gone. Yeah. Like he started off the season that way, but then like shot his way out of it, which is something that other players on this team really could have needed. Yeah. Uh, I I just think that overall Jamal's you know he he gets better every game. Like he's I thought here's what's crazy. I thought he's had some bad turnovers. I thought in the last five games he looked more like a point guard who was running who was running the floor, like controlling the floor, a floor general than he ever has. And for him to showcase that at twenty, that's pretty terrifying. You know what I think it is because I agree with you about this last five games. And you know what I think it is? He's hit the role guy, n- namely Nikola Jokic. He's hit him better in the last five games than I think he has the yeah. whole rest of the season. And to me, that was a thing. I don't. I'm not going to say that he's like even above average at that skill yet. But but the fact that he's improved at least over this last five games, and maybe it's just a, a product of, you know, the last five games are when the Nuggets have stopped calling such deliberate plays. So maybe it's a mm-hmm. thing of where he's hunting for that a little bit more. One of the things I think he gets in trouble with is he turns the pick and roll, he turns the corner on the pick and roll, and, like, it's almost like he's making a read. Okay, now I go into the handoff or whatever. And when teams trap him, then he get, he's a little bit – he hesitates, and then next thing you know, the role guy's no longer open, yeah. there's hands in the lane. And I think now just reading and reacting, maybe it's like he's getting that pass early enough that the trap can't fully commit to him in time. So, I don't know, just one one theory. Um, Nikola Jokic. No. God. I have to remind myself how young he is. I have to always remind myself how young he is. 
I can't even tell what number of stars you're going back and forth between. <laughs> Two and three, three and four, I can't tell. I'll give him three and a half. I feel I want to give him two and a half. I'll give him three and a half because I have to understand the production is the production, the plus minus is the plus minus, and him simply being there and being who he is is more valuable than most guys in the league. So to that degree, I have to kind of give him an evaluation there. Um, I've been frustrated with... I think I... And maybe I expected too much consistency from him. Because he went like four consistent months with yeah, last year. Yeah, and I think there's... So like I could point to all the things that have gone wrong for him. Uh, the lineups aren't conducive for him. Chris Finch is gone. Paul Millsap's been out. They've had other injuries. Nicola had an injury. Like I think another one that would go on there is some other guys growing, like mm-hmm. Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, <coughs> right. and they're stretching their wings a little bit. Right. Uh, new players. He's still getting used to like Trey Lyles and... He's still getting used to Mason to a degree and all of these other guys. There's all there's like a, any number of ways that I can say, yeah, there are all these reasons. I think the problem is I put Nikola Jokic on a level going into the season where my response would be, it doesn't matter. He's talented enough to overcome all that. And what we've seen kind of is there are players that have to be put in certain situations in order to be the best versions of themselves. And there are guys that you can drop them on the moon and they are going to be who they are. You can put Damian Lillard on the moon and it's going to be a Lillard time. You can put LeBron James on the moon and he's still going to be LeBron James. Um, Nikola Jokic needs to be put in the best position. His ceiling in those in those situations is better than most stars in the league. Right. Like in the in the right situation, Nikola Jokic is better than Andre Drummond. He's better than all these guys. Drummond. He's he's up there where Blake Griffin. He's better than Blake Griffin in the right situation. Like Blake Griffin's an all star and like really like has put together MVP caliber seasons before. Jokic can be better than that in the right scenario. And in a way, like I this is I feel this way about Stephen Curry. And so like there's a comparison like. Nikola Jokic and Stephen Curry are alike in this regard for me, where I don't know. And you think Steph Curry's like a top ten player, or has the chance to be a top ten player of all time? Of all yeah. time, yeah, not this season. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm not saying the same thing about Jokic, but I do think that like, look, if you, if you absolutely maximize Jokic in every single capacity, if you just were just like, we're if you were able to just be like, we're gonna pick out the perfect guys that can play offensively with him and cover for him defensively, and you surround him, Jokic would make them so much better. Like they would be an absolutely elite sixty win team. I do believe that. I think Nicola's that talented. Um, I do think that there's this season has been a, a predictable, if we could have thought about it, like it had to slump a little bit, had to come back down to earth, things had to get a little hard for him. We've seen this over and over again. Dame had this happen to him too, um, where you know it gets harder once certain things start changing for you. And some of that's like the, the way the, teams, the, the, the team evolves, and some of that's like the scouting reports do get harder, and that shaves off a little bit. There's all these things that, like kind, of comment, that kind of combine for it, but... I still kind of am of the, the mindset like Nicola has nights where I feel like he doesn't engage offensively, where he doesn't. There's got to be a level to which Nicola's got to be able to say like, "Give me the ball." Like, okay, we're in trouble. Give me the ball. I'm gonna figure something out for us. I'm either gonna score or get a pass. I am talented enough to make something happen. Yeah. I don't need everything to be perfect. I don't need the the I don't need the breathe, the temperature to be set just right in the room. I'm going to make this happen. I'm not saying he's going to, like, take over and be, like, an elite Dirk. You know, he's not, like, Kobe. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like, he's got to be a little bit more assertive and, like, no, no. It's important that I'm involved. It's important that I'm making plays. It's important that I'm making guys better. And too often this, this, this season I think he's been in the mode of, well, okay, we're in this game and we're okay, so I guess I'll just stay where I'm with what I'm doing. And I'm like, you can't do that. Like, you've got it's, – it's I don't think he has to be overly aggressive. I think he has to be find that right tenor of aggressive. Right. I think it's difficult. It's just it's hard. Be, it's below the th- – you're saying it's not him, but it's below the threshold right now. He's below the threshold in these categories that he needs to get. Like, he doesn't have to become a takeover type guy. No. But he has to raise the level in which he yes. becomes a takeover type guy. Yeah, he's got to be. He has to at least be a guy that. Honestly, a lot of this. I was annoyed this season when there was discussion of like Nikola Jokic is becoming a leader, and I was like, don't, like, don't. <laughs> we honestly, man, these are these are the things that that bug me the most. Honestly, and, and like, I, I love all all of the writers in this. I really do. With a lot of good writers, I, whenever I see the article that like there'll be one quote from one game, and it's like, guess what? 
you know, yeah, so-and-so has really turned a corner. That's like, yes, this one game. And I, I, I've made that mistake before. Like, I mean, God, I made, I did an entire breakdown of Manuel Moody in his first month because he had one of those games that was so good, and I was so excited for what he was capable of. I was like, look at what he can do. Yeah. And now I'm just, like, mortified by it because I'm like, you know, he had one good game. And that was it. The best, like, after the Knicks game. The Nuggets offense is back. Like, guys, it was one game against a really bad defense. Right. <laughs> like, right. we, get, we, get, we get very excited about the prospect of things being back. Right. Because, like, you want to see that. Like, if yeah. you're covering a team, you want to see them play well. Not from a rooting standpoint, um, but from a, like, I, for me, like, I want every team to play well. That's my yeah. ideal scenario. Yeah. Is every team maximizes their roster, everybody plays well, and then, like, one team made shots and the other didn't, and so they won a close game. Like that'd be my the ideal. Yeah, you know, but that's not how it is. I think there's also <coughs> this culture of wanting to be the first one. Like we see this so much with the draft, right? And that's why everybody's draft takes are so stupid and so quick because everyone wants to be. I told you so and so was good. That guy's been three games. Everybody that liked Jason Tatum in the draft is now like, you were so stupid not to yeah. believe in Jason Tatum, and it was like, oh, look, man, it's the worst. But that's why you want to be like the Nuggets' offense was back because you want in like two weeks to say, I told you after that Knicks game it was it's back because I I was the first one to realize. Yeah, and so like <laughs> my thing is like Nicole is not a leader yet. He's not. I don't I don't know that he's. Do you think he'll be a leader? I led the witness with that question. I guess. No, he didn't. Um, I think. I think, yeah, I think he can be. And the reason I say that is, like, Dirk at his age was the same way. Really? And Dirk is, like, a really weird comparison. Yeah. But uh, Dirk was also a guy that kind of, befud- like, befuddled people, where they were like, this goofy white kid shooting threes? Like, this, this yeah. kid's seven-footer? Like, what's Big Bird doing out there? People people definitely didn't understand Dirk's game right out the bat. Right. Same and with Jokic. the best way to compare it. Is yeah. Like, is, is, like, there's a, a whole thing of not being able to understand Jokic's game is pretty common. And I think in time, as he becomes more confident and, and he hits those strides and he builds on it, like, there will come times when he's like, okay, I gotta get this. And, and like, his English will improve. And his rapport with teammates will improve, and like I think there will come a time when that happens. I hope that there will come a time when that happens, but it, we are a long way away, and that's okay with how young he is. Yeah. So this will be an interesting insight for you because, as people know, I'm I'm as high on Nikola Jokic as just about anybody. I think there's one guy like on Reddit that's maybe like more more obsessive about about how good he is. But there's a couple things here. One is you talk about if the situation is just right for him. My perspective on that is the situation being right means good basketball like mm-hmm. like yeah. i don't think a lot of people say well if this if you play a certain system to me it's the best system basketball's ever seen and it's mm-hmm. a system where everybody spaces the floor and cuts and this and that well and here's another thing and this is an interesting psychology thing i think we all are not just with basketball but especially with basketball and this is a thing i've really thought about a lot over the last two years i think we're all we all gravitate to people that that possess the best qualities of ourselves. And there was no player in NBA history that plays basketball the way I did than Nikola Jokic. By not not even remotely close. I mean, it, I, I'm going to go up full Uncle Rico here, but in my college days, I was this like low-scoring guy that you played through and was a versatile from the big from the big position. So, so for part of me, I gravitate to him that way. But I also happen to think that that is the right like. It's the right style and the successful style. Now, well, does that mean that another player won't come on and actually be the the quote-unquote go-to guy? I actually think it will be. I don't think he is a go-to player. But I think he is your anchor in a way that even in in similar, I think they're very different in a lot of regards, most like intangible ways. But Tim Duncan was this way. Early in his career, he was the go-to guy and he was dominant. And I think he's different than Jokic in that regard. Later in his career, he absolutely dominated finals by being the... Doing the everything yeah. and letting somebody else win the games yeah. and take over big moments. And to me, Jokic is like the second half of Duncan's career, or can be. I think a lot of it with Nikola is... Um, so you're right in terms of like the right way to play. I think a lot of it is dealing with reality versus the ideal. And I think that if you spend so much time chasing the ideal you're going to give up too many opportunities to, to do what you got to do in the immediate. And it's just, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is like make the playoffs. And then we can start talking about like, okay, we made the playoffs. How do we make Jokic better? Like how do we put him in the right situation? But 
in the situation that he's in, I think you have to make the best of it on every single opportunity. And, like, that's the thing is, like, again, with star players in the league, there's just, like, how it is. And so this does get an interesting question, right? Because, like, Jokic isn't like every other star in the league. He's different. Right. He is different. Right. But there's a level to which it's, like, look, man, there's going to be times when it's not going to be perfect and you're just, like, because the thing is, like, this isn't going to stop where he, every year of his career, there are going to be lineups and situations and context and things going on that don't make it ideal for him. Yeah. And he's still going to have to be like, no, you're going to have to walk away from those games and be like, man, Jokic was brilliant tonight. Because that's what let being me, a star let me, is. Let me ask you this. Do you think the best way, and this is more of a philosophical, not like yeah. what should the Nuggets do. Do you think the best way to bring a player along like that is to put him in the comfortable position and then work on the uncomfortable things or just to throw him in? Com- because I feel like he is uncomfortable this yeah. season. Yeah, so I, I, I get the idea based off of like the Jokic Plumley thing. and pretty- Which, again, he doesn't disagree with. Like right. Jokic but, himself is, is not complaining. But, but pretty much just like that's like the big thing that stands out. Here's the thing, though, is like he's not playing every second of the games with, with, with Plumley. Um, they haven't surrounded this roster with a bunch of like they're not they haven't surrounded it with a bunch of guards who are ball dominant. Right. Uh, they haven't brought in a guy who is going to like be like no no, I'm going to get mine. Like I need the ball in order to be successful. Like this roster is in a lot of is. Does the ball flow through him though? Like last year? No, not as much as it needs to. So and and I mean that that's like the big and, difference. And so. the key I think is a lot of that is the. To me, that's a fifty. It's a fifty. No, it's a sixty forty problem. It's sixty percent on 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 the coach who is trying way too hard to make sure that he is getting contributions from everybody because he's so obsessed with winning that he's trying to keep everybody happy and to play like a style of basketball he believes in. Yeah. And it's forty percent to me not with Nicola not being aggressive enough. Um, this problem kind of went away when Millsap went down, but that was one of the things that cost him early on in the season was Millsap would get the ball. And Jokic would just be like, oh, well, Paul has the ball. Okay. And go away. Like, he just went away. Right. And I was like, no, man. Like, you both have to play dynamically. Like, there's got to be a dynamic between the two of you. And you have to be involved and aggressive in figuring that out. And, like, with Jamal, like, when Jamal's hot, that's when a situation when Jokic needs to be like, let's get you going in D- and, and, like, some DHO and get you some looks at the rim because you are burning it down right now. Like, let's have me help you get you open. Like, hey, cut down here. Like, they're doing this. Like he's got to be more aggressive rather than like, oh, this is this guy's going this way. Like yeah. that's where I think that 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 that's the change that I've got to see from Jokic is is there's a right way to play, and I absolutely agree. And you can flow through him, and that's true. But uh, some of this is on him to cash it in as well. And when he's gotten the ball, and there have been times when I think he's gotten the ball and he's just been too passive. I the thing is I don't have a lot of faith in him not like to go outside of himself that much and then so maybe that lowers like and that's kind of who he is yeah so and that's the question right is like my here's my biggest thing is like where does Nikola Jokic fit in not a championship team because it's a lofty ass goal especially with where we're at looking at in the league because the Warriors are gonna win the next three and then they're gonna get Anthony Davis um (laughs) uh he laughed everyone's really worried about it um be the dumbest thing ever but like. Three like three years down the line, can you be a sixty win team? And if that's the case, is Nikola Jokic your best player, or do you need Jamal Murray to be your best player? And Nikola Jokic is this anchor that is underappreciated because like I think I think it's team. a Curry Draymond thing, honestly. For look, me, look at the team across or look at the team across the aisle tonight, uh, across court like Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, the best player on the Boston Celtics who, this is year. Who? Has been Al Horford. That's, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, and that's how, and I actually do think that's gonna be the dynamic for right. Jokic. Look, I, I'm resigned to the fact that he's always gonna be a polarizing player. Like, I just, I really do think that's who he is. I don't think his numbers will ever. Yeah, they'll but, jump out in terms of the balance. Is, but, 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 but my thing is, I'm not looking for him to be like consistent every night, thirty points. I'm looking for him to not have nights when it's like. You're looking for him not to check out. And here's the thing: you were talking about like when the ball would go to Millsap and he had space. Here's what. Here's my. Here's how I feel in these situations as a player. Yeah. The right move is to provide spacing. Right. But like the ex- you're saying the existential right thing is to be like, no, get damn it, get out of here. This is we're gonna play this other style or kind of demand that the things I, I change. Think it's, I think it's to figure out ways. I think that you can. Well, I guess part of it is like I think you can still have you can still have adequate spacing if the other guys are doing what they need to do. 
if you have like running high low and the reason I know is like look the Grizzlies did it and yeah. you got better shooters than than they ever did. I think I have a good metaphor for it. He's like he is like the world's best algorithm where like if you input the right thing, the output is going to be the right thing. If you input the wrong thing, it's going to the output is going to be different. Right. And I don't know, I don't have I don't it's not that I don't have faith in him. I just don't know that he's ever going to be a guy that steps outside of what he what but he part of what feels. we're talking about is like it's degrees, right? Like I don't like, he can be uncomfortable. He can be like it can be like, well, if the lineup isn't right, then he's not going to be able to get he, he's not like if it, I, it, first of all, I don't think it's just a lineup <coughs> thing by the way. If it's not if the game isn't being played the right way, right. the scheme isn't right. isn't That's right and, the, and the personnel isn't the right way that like I don't need him to be like, well, it doesn't matter. He's still putting up 13 and 15. Like no. But I am saying he's got to get to a point where it's like, well, look, the team's not playing really well right now. They're not well adapted to him. He still has 20. He's still at 2012, you know, all right, 25. Like 28-6. Yeah. You know, he may be close to that now. I think the rebounds are honestly the easiest part for him. He just, he, for some reason, he just vacuums up he rebounds. He just gets them. Tonight he had 11 at half or something, and I don't remember any of them. It's like, <laughs> this is kind of wild. Uh, let's move on here to this one. What would you do with the trade deadline? Do you, well, first of all, I'll ask this. Do you think it's an important trade deadline for the Nuggets? No. You are you are against the grain on this, and I happen to think it's like... I, I, I think it's less important than, than other people think. Um, they are not... So they're in danger of, of missing the playoffs. That's for sure. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even mean to make the playoffs. I just meant... Do, oh, like no. Like their roster for the future is fine. Like They're in great shape. about their salary like, cap like situation? I mean, look, uh, if the cap is bad next year, I guess uh, if they can't get off of Fareed's books, if Darrell and Wilson opt in, then yeah, they're in trouble. And what that means is that they're going to have to pay through the nose yeah. to create space. And the fans are going to hate it, and it's going to make the team worse, and it's going to be a problem. But you know what? You're still going to have Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Paul Millsap. And... They have control over that third year with the team option on Millsaps. If they got to keep him just because they're low on talent and they have a great starting unit and a crappy bench, well, guess what? They're like about, mm, oh, I don't know, probably 20 of the teams in the NBA. Right. That's how most teams are constructed. Yeah, with true. great starting units and <laughs> wretched so bench squads. It's so true. Like, Portland, they have no bench. Like, Washington, Washington yeah. no bench. Like all of these teams. The Clippers for years had the best offense, the best I think Detroit rating. was this way too. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah so it's like, you know, if that's the worst case scenario, then you're still okay. They've done, they've gotten the big stuff right. Um, I think there are opportunities that ha- that that they should try and maximize. I think it's a tough market, despite the Blake Griffin move today being like, whoa, big move. Everybody's tied on money. Um, very few teams are going to try and clear space to, clear space to get LeBron, so you're not going to be able to take advantage of, th- of teams like you did in 2010. Um, part of it also is like some of these contracts are going to be a lot more valuable this summer. <coughs> yeah. Now. The Nuggets screw that up constantly. As much as I have high regard for how this front office is operated, their one biggest problem is that they wait too long to fix problems. Yeah. So, like, this summer, it probably needs to be aggressive, like, we're getting off of Fareed's deal. Like, however that's that needs to happen, mm. we're getting off of Kenneth Fareed's deal. Um, when he becomes an expiring this summer, I feel like it's a little bit more attractive. Especially the mm-hmm. Nuggets have a lot of players they quite frankly can't hold on to. <coughs> right, young prospects. I mean, right. Um, some of that maybe though that you got to take back players that are that are gambles. Like they're not going to be like guys that. You, I mean, this is the thing that, that fans get wrapped up in. It's like they want to trade Kenneth Fareed and Emmanuel Moutier and get back like a star player. Right. It's like, look, it may be that you take on somebody else's garbage. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you, you may, just hope that their garbage fits a little nicely, a little, yeah. like, a little bit nicer with yours. Yeah. You know, that he's a good. It's like, well, you know, he's a, he's a good locker room guy, and yeah, and, and he plays hard, or like he's got good, you know, all these things are, are part of it. Or his agent is in good with the people, the people that you want to. Talk How much to. of the NBA, by the way, is that like, oh, his agent is good friends with this so and so from back in the day and or this guy grew up in a gym with my cousin and like roster maneuvering it's like probably a quarter of it. it's like 25 percent yeah it's about so really too well it's not it, well here's the thing it's not it's not just those things it's not about future moves but it's like relationships yeah it's like if you if you have a if, if an agent is just like no i remember when you when i when your guy signed and you trade him two months later yeah. and you trade him to siberia like <laughs> I, i'm gonna bet the blake griffin's agent is not gonna be too happy with, oh, with, with the clippers for yeah. a while um, like the, these things really do impact things. Like the trade partner, this is what drives me crazy about about fans is, um, and oh, there's some stuff that we can't report on, 
Like there's uh, there's one I can't go into details on it. <laughs> what a tease. There's there's genuine animosity between two NBA franchises front offices. Like they literally like they talk badly about one another every chance that they get. Those teams, no matter how much it may make sense, are never doing a trade. <laughs> like they won't call one another, they won't talk to one another. It's not happening. But you know, Denver has pre-existing relationships with people in Cleveland, in people in New Orleans, in Washington, in Minnesota, and in Portland. Like there's existing relationships with the, with those teams and, and like a lot of others. And that's one of the good, that's one of the good things about this about this organization is that Tim Conley, because he's been coaching for as long and and Malone as well, because they've been doing what they've been doing for as long as they have. They, they have, know everybody. They have connections with everybody, yeah. and that's really because I tell you, it's they're both likable guys. Like I know I know fans haven't gotten to know Tim or Malone too much, but they're they're very easy to talk to. It's people. more valuable than you would believe because like you, I'll tell you this: the the, the teams that are considered to be high intelligence and I have high respect for the guys that were that are in charge of those like Sam Hinkie and, and Daryl Morey like I have a I, I have always said like Daryl Morey runs the game Daryl Morey operates his organization talked about like you're like the way you connect with the best qualities of yourself yeah. Daryl Morey runs his organization how I would want to run a team mm. um, but there are a lot of guys that hate Daryl. Like, there's just a lot of guys, and they're not going to help out Daryl. And it's not even like, oh, well, he, we're going to lose that trade. They're like, they're not, they're confident in their ability to get a deal. They're just like, no, screw him. I'm yeah. not helping him. I'm not doing a deal with him. Daryl's not the coolest guy at the party, except for at Sloan. He's the coolest guy, He's the at, coolest Sloan. guy at the party. And it's kind of funny to watch him at Sloan because it really is like He's a rock star. Yeah, you know, like when you walk into the party where everyone knows you and yeah. like it's like ah, that's how he He's is. He's a rock star. So like, it's a rock anyways, star. pre-existing relationships. People asking for autographs. The pre-existing relationships are really big. I think of the deadline, um, the Wilson Chandler situation is concerning to me, and I mm-hmm. think that uh, for Wilson's sake, I think it'd be probably good if they moved on. Yeah. Um, I just think that he would. I think a change of scenery would do him really good, and this organization's been pretty good about. Too good. About hey, you need to change a bit. Like they tried to, they they tried to move Darrell Arthur, and we're like, Darrell, we can put you on the Thunder. Right. You can compete for a championship. Like we're gonna put you in a great position, and Darrell was like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'll stay. Um, I think it's so, it's more important, <laughs> by the way, to Denver to do these things because I think that they have to be have an A plus better business bureau rating, yes. right? Like <laughs> they have to be somebody that you want to do business with yeah. um, to overcome a, the, the the market factor. Yep. Uh, which is not to say like the size and of the team market, history, team history, the reputation that their yeah. team has. Uh, league wide in terms of spending, like all of these things are legitimate concerns that they have to battle. So yeah. you need to be somebody who's like that's like they treat their guys like like you're you're not going to get screwed by Tim Conley. They can't have any bad Yelp reviews. No like, bad Yelp. The Yelp reviews go right. No to the one top. star Yelps. Yeah, <laughs> no can't, star. can't have the service reviews. What's the best case scenario for the Nuggets this season? Uh, they figure out how to work around Jamal, Millsap, and Jokic to where there's a tenor and a balance of. Jamal, when he's hot, is able to go out and do his thing, and Paul trusts him to do that, and Jokic empowers him to do that. Um, they figure out lineups that enable Jokic to have stretches of games where he does the he plays the way that you want to, yeah. and in those moments, they're able to establish or build leads or take away deficits that put them in a great position. Millsap comes back. Anchors the defense. They get back up to 15th or better right. in defensive rating. Um, Emmanuel Moutier doesn't play. Jeez. Uh, oh, they add a veteran point guard at the deadline or through a buyout, and that guy simply takes over the, the, the role. The second unit. Um, they secure either the five seed versus Minnesota or the eight seed versus Golden State and nothing in between. Uh, because there's one they can win or compete, and one that nobody cares if they compete or not. Because if they win game, if they win game three in Denver, a plus season, a plus season. <laughs> that's all you need. And with Minnesota, you're going to get out with at least two wins. Yeah, I Minnesota's agree. not beating you in six or less, yeah. or in less than six. Right. What's the worst case scenario? Uh, Donovan Mitchell hits a game-winning jumper to put the Jazz into the playoffs. What do they? Well, they don't, they're done with the Jazz for the year. <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, they don't play them on like April thirteenth or whatever. Right. Um, there's a couple of them. <clears throat> um, Millsap comes back. The offense gets worse because it's clunkier and nobody can figure out what they're doing. Uh, Jamal then takes a back seat because he's wanting to defer to the 
four-time All-Star. Yeah. Um, they try and run too much through through Millsap when he gets back. The defense doesn't come around. It's still 19th or worse in the NBA. Uh, the offense could, it clutters off a little bit. They're just kind of middling. Uh, and either the Jazz or Clippers sneak in, or they wind up in even worse. It'd be like if this happens, and they're like two games under, or they're like 41. They've went finished at 500, and say the Clippers finish at 500, but Denver gets the tiebreaker for some reason. And so Denver's the seven, and they face Houston or San Antonio, and just get obliterated. And like they're so far away, and Jokic just doesn't look prepared at all, and like just gets railroaded. I think the only team that can do that to them is Houston. I mean, Golden State clearly can as well, but I think Golden State's more prone to taking their foot off the gas. It's different. Like, it's different if they lose to Golden State than if they lose to Houston or San Antonio. Um, There's, you know, look, them missing the playoffs is within the realm of possibility, and if it happens, there's going to be changes. It's my thing with with the changes is that it means an uncertain future and oh it's a huge that's what this is what fans just don't, don't understand is all the people that are just the hot take fire Malone now whatever it's like what are the odds that the person you bring in is worse yeah and like to me the odds are just so damn uh, high so way higher than people a lot realize. of this gets back to a lot of this is Broncos because like the Broncos are shoot for a championship at every opportunity and because yeah one team where Peyton was benched halfway through the season right. happened, and they almost lost the Browns, I might add, which would have changed their playoff matchups entirely. Um, had that team not won a championship, <laughs> like that entire approach has looked at differently. Yeah. Right? Like, no plan B looks like garbage if things don't come together for that season. But that's, that's the Broncos, is no plan B. And the NBA doesn't operate like that. Right. And with the NBA, it's like, look, if they fire Malone, you know, like, oh, go pay through the nose and, and, and hire Chris Finch. Yeah, sure. The Gronkies are gonna pay through the nose first off. Um, but two, isn't Chris Finch the cheap option though at this point? Yeah, he would be pretty <laughs> cheap as a first-time head coach. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, what if he's terrible? Right. Mark, I- Mark the, I- the odds are so high. Mark, it's just like that's what people don't Mark realize. Mark Averoni in Phoenix was considered one of the brightest young minds in the game. His tenure in Phoenix was or in Memphis was so bad. Mark's never had another head coaching opportunity. Yeah. Brian Ever. Shaw, same thing. Like Brian Shaw was Brian, really, really highly touted as a love. Paul George will still talk about yeah. how great. Like Paul George talks about how awesome he is. Yeah. And th- there's no way. Uh, all of these first-time head coaches, like David Blatt, genius, revolutionary system. And, and Matt he, never misses an opportunity to talk about David Blatt, his favorite such coach. A, <laughs> it was such a disaster. Um, but he was regarded as, as a literal genius, and. It could not have been a worse catastrophe, and and he's coached a lot of games. And, Matt. and well, here's the <laughs> here's the, he's flown a lot of jet yeah, planes. That was his go-to line. And, well, and here's here's the thing. What if he's a great coach, but he's just terrible here? What if it's just like not a good fit? Oh. Then the next coach they, they were to bring in, if they fire. Oh Malone. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's just like you know what Malone, but it's like the next guy come in, and it's like okay, you're still not any better. You're still around five hundred only. Harris is tailed off. Murray doesn't look like anything. And you're basically just being driven by the fact that, well, Paul Millsap is so good. Right. And you have enough quality players you can get by. Yeah. Yeah. Malone's a lot better than he gets credit for, and the average coach is a lot worse than people realize. I have another best-case scenario for you. Okay. Um, Everybody comes back. They move Wilson Chandler. They get, like, a cheap low-option wing. I don't know who, but they get, like, a cheap low-option wing. He just does a a fine job. Um, They pull off a first-round upset versus the Wolves. They take two games from Minnesota or from the Golden State. They win games one. They're getting they're getting like LeBron. They get, they win games one and and game three versus versus the the the, the Warriors to put them down to one. LeBron is so impressed. Oh yeah, he ends up tanking the Cavs playoff season to get an early start on his training at Mile and, High. And, and that means that the Nuggets have to trade probably either Gary Harris or Paul Millsap. But, you know, you figure it out. Cancel. Yeah. Don't go. I don't do. I won't take LeBron. Anything else you think we need to cover? Why are there no fries on level 100? <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't get fries on level 100 at Pepsi. Even though they've, they've redone, like, nobody, like, you guys don't eat up there the way I do. Like, they've redone all of the food options. When I was here... Five years ago, it was there. it was all it was nothing but junk food. It was just and now there's a pho place. There's a, there's an Argentinian yeah. pho place. 
Wait, Argentinian? Yes. What does this? How does this work? It's like it, it's like it's it uses South American spices, but they put it in the broth. What? So it's like yes, it's amazing. It's so good. There's Let's scallions. Let's eat this on Thursday together. It's so good. <laughs> and then out. like they have a they have an all natural chicken tenders place right yeah. outside our, our spot, but they don't have fries there. There's actually a really there's actually like a quality soft serve ice cream place, but I have to go around to the other side of the arena. But there's no fries. This I'm very is, mad. This was the most American thing ever. Like there's really good ice cream, but I have to walk to get it. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> It's like a two-minute walk, easy. Look, I had look, I had a, I had half a Greek salad from Panera, and that's all I've had to eat today. I've been good. Uh, that's impressive. Um, they need better food options. There was a, I only read the headline. It's the most millennial thing ever. I saw the headline to an article earlier today about how a certain stadium dropped the prices like ridiculously low and actually made more money. Huh? Did you see this? Yeah. You thought? I, I'm curious about this because yeah, twelve dollars for a burger drives me nuts. Matt, thanks so much. We'll do this again. We're gonna do it again in the playoffs. If if if. What's your schedule like if the Nuggets make the playoffs? Do you do you have an inkling like would they would they send you to where the the Nuggets are since it's sort of your home team or will it just be the biggest story? I'd have the option. Um, I'll probably be home for first round. So oh yeah, it's just not it's just not really worth it. Like the first round series are never compelling enough. Like if things get crazy now, like if the Nuggets win. Go up if to, they're yeah if they're up and ready to close if they're up if they're up three yeah. one on the Warriors going out to Oracle <laughs> then yeah I'll make the trek but uh, oh my god but in all likelihood like I'll just cover the home games and, gotcha. and be around um, but I will be you know if the Nuggets were to make the second round then I would probably travel for their games gotcha well we'll do it again the people love you and I love having you on thanks so much everybody I'm gonna be back again tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.